Hello and welcome to Divided by Brand, the weekly podcast show for entrepreneurs, business owners and influencers. If you want to learn more about branding, hear from industry experts and first-hand accounts about ways that you might find yourself divided by your own business's brand, then this is the show for you. Join me, your host, Dan O'Cook, a brand identity specialist with over 20 years design experience and founder of Vi Design Co. I'm going to talk everything brand, but more specifically, I want to go behind the scenes of real life brand challenges that businesses and individuals have faced that has left them divided in their mind or divided by the people around them. I want you to learn with me exactly what real life brand divides people have faced and by overcoming them, did they help to create success? And don't forget, if you're not sure exactly what your brand is and how strong your brand is performing, then you can take my Brandscape Strength Test. It's designed specifically for anyone who wants to uncover six core areas of their business and how the brand is performing. It's completely free and the links are in the show notes. And I think you'll agree, that's quite enough jazzy intro. Can we just start the show, please? Hello and welcome to this episode of Divided by Brand. I'm your host, Dan O'Cock, and here's what's coming up on today's show. My guest on this episode of Divided by Brand in the Divided by Brand spotlight is Rob Anderberg. Now, it's a bit of a special episode, this one, because Rob and I... um, we went to school together. We were at, um, I don't know what you call it, secondary school, high school, I think it is, over here in the UK. And we got back in touch um, later in life after kids and all that kind of thing. And I was really, well, I wasn't surprised, I was intrigued to learn Rob's, um, now the co-founder and CEO of a computer game development studio. He's also spent some time working at Google, one of the biggest brands on the planet and the more I delved into what Rob had been up to over the years and the, the more we kind of fired a few messages here and there I thought Rob would be an awesome guest to get on the show because I'm really intrigued at the relationship that a computer game studio has with its brand and the games themselves that they produce I'm quite interested to see and hear rather from Rob how that works and how he goes about managing that with a completely remote business. Um, and we're going to go under the, you know, put everything under the microscope, so to speak, and just hear what his journey has been up to this point um, and find out how brand has affected some of his decisions and how he goes about managing that brand and the team that he works with. So join me as I speak to Rob on this episode of Divided by Brand. Welcome to the show, Rob. I'm really glad to get you on. Um, thanks for coming on. And I've just done a little intro-y special um, set of words about you. And it's actually quite a special episode is how I described it. Um, because you went to school with me. 
<laughs> That's right. Many, many moons ago, in the dark uh, ages of time, we went to school I, together. I so, know. Yeah, but we're not going to go into the early 90s um, high school stories, of which there are quite a lot. Um, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, we've, I've got you on the show because I'm really intrigued um, with the, the type of work that you're busy with and the background, your kind of industry that you're within and how the relationships of computer game um, studios and the games that they develop um, sit within the world of brand. Now, what I get every guest to do when they, when they come on and just kind of a nice little icebreaker and introduction, I like people to give me three wins. So three things over the last two weeks that have gone good. Things done uh, well for you. What, what's been going on? Uh, yeah, so what we're doing at the moment is um, hiring and uh, I'm discovering... Uh, the pain of having to do all of the hiring process yourself. <laughs> so wow. uh, over the last uh, few weeks, we've both uh, hired somebody, uh, which is great. Uh, and then we've also um, got another couple of interns from um, an organization in Oakland called Gameheads that we've been working with for a long time that gives uh, low-income kids a chance to make games. So we're actually hiring a couple of those students as interns. Nice. Uh, then yeah we have another couple of really good prospects so yeah those are the things that are, that are going great with hiring and then uh, we've actually also got another game coming out so that's uh, that's going well too so yeah and you do you use the word we the royal we is that another business partner that you want to mention oh i mean we have eight people now but we have uh, four co-founders so all right yeah it's always a kind of group effort whatever we're doing so uh yeah, I mean, I am doing a lot of the hiring stuff right now. But, Fair enough. Uh, you know, they, uh, I won't mention them. I don't want to speak their names. I'll summon That's them. good. No, so you're busy. It sounds really good. And and tell everybody, the listeners, like, whereabouts are you based in the world right now? Where are you working from? Uh, I'm in San Jose, uh, California, which is in the Bay Area. So it's kind of the heart of Silicon Valley, as people call it. Um, so like Adobe is in San Jose, like Adobe Photoshop, uh, um, and just every every tech company you've heard of is obviously in the Bay Area. So yeah, um, yeah. So I'm in San Jose. Uh, two of the other co-founders are in San Francisco, and then mm -hmm. another co-founder is currently in the UK, but he was in the US for for about ten years. So yeah, we're, we're the founders are distributed, and then for the company, we're we're basically completely remote now. So we have two people in Iceland, one person in Barcelona. We're hiring someone else in the UK. We're maybe hiring someone in Hungary. Cool. Um, so just all over the place. Yeah, I'm, I've got a question lined up about the remote side of things. So we're going to come um, on to that shortly. It's a, I think it's a fascinating way, and the way that everybody in the world is pretty much mm. working at the minute. Now. We're going to go into, um, before we kind of get involved with the questions that I've got around um, the business and the brand, I actually want to talk first up about the project that you're that kind of rooted in at the minute, which and I'm saying it's an awesome project. I was sat playing the little demo version of it on your site. It's called Dot Big Bang. And mm -hmm. um, so I want to hear a little bit about that. And, you know, it's your chance to, I guess, tell people that are listening what it's all about it's your, it's your current little baby or big baby <laughs> yeah it's getting bigger <laughs> growing up very quickly yeah so um dot big bang's a a platform that lets people play and make games together um you know that's kind of a combination between 
what you might see in Minecraft, where people are just playing a game that is also creative, um, and a game engine. You know, there's lots of kind of well-known game engines now. One of the most well-known is called Unity. Um, so it's somewhere in between those two things. Mm. And everything you need to build stuff is built in. You don't need any skills to get started. And it runs in a web browser and it runs on all devices, so laptops and phones. People can all play together in multiplayer. And the idea is just to make something like YouTube for games. You know, YouTube revolutionized video and allowed people to share videos and so it kind of enabled viral video. Um, that hasn't existed for games. So, you know, we think there's a huge opportunity to. Uh, kind of harness the power of creativity that people have and have them build interactive things and games and share them. Um, so yeah, we, um, we're working on that right now. We, we awesome. have, uh, we got some funding in 2018 and then we got some more funding at the end of last year. So we're expanding to 20 people this year. And uh, yeah, it's That's growing good. up a little bit. <laughs> That's really good. And I loved your... Um your explanation of it's like YouTube for games. I think that's actually yeah. quite, quite a good little explanation there. So if anybody's interested, where do they go to, to, to check it out? Uh, yeah, the website is .bigbang.com, D-O-T-B-I-G-B-A-N-G.com. Um, and everything's there. Like, you can just click click buttons and it should be quite straightforward. I will, um, pop yeah, so a link. I will pop a link in the show notes if anyone um, wants to go check out the, the game. I, I would recommend it, and it doesn't matter what device you're on. Like Rob said, I've had, I've actually had a go on my um, mobile as well, and it works really well. So there you go. I've done a bit of testing for you as well. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, I want to now go a little bit deeper and um, just find out some, you know, some background to the journey that's brought you up to the point of dot big bang and help listeners understand you know what's what, what's made you what makes you tick and what has brought you to this stage um the company that you've set up um is called control z so what are the origins of control z you know what made you start that business oh uh, yeah uh, that's a good question um you know i think when we when i moved to the bay area uh, we were working for a company called Paragon Studios who made who were working on a massively multiplayer game called City of Heroes. And um, while we were doing that, we were thinking like, oh, we should probably try and like do something because we're in the Bay Area and like, you know, people do companies when they're in the Bay Area, don't they? <laughs> so let's try and yeah. do something. So I was working on something and then uh, another of our friends suggested, oh, you know, we could make a thing that lets people make games. And that's obviously good project for a small team because uh, video games today, computer games today, um, the, the art content, like the actual visuals are just such a massive part of it. And you need, and in terms of kind of the, uh, the team balance, the majority of, you know, modern video game teams are art, are the artists making the assets. So if you're going to be a small team, you either need to make something that's very limited in scope, or you need to make a thing that lets other people do all of the art. So, okay. yeah. So then uh, we kind of just, I just started, started doing it in our spare time. You know, I did all of the, I did all of the code and, you know, uh, the other guy did all of the art and then it just kind of slowly grew over time. Uh, it took a long time, I would say, because it was just kind of, you know, something we were doing um, in the evenings and, and weekends. But eventually it kind of came together and then I was able to uh, show it to a bunch of people. So I just, uh, I had a rule. I always joke that um, I'm always pitching. So always be pitching to everybody all the time. So anytime you're in a conference or to, you know, see, talking to people who you know, just show them the thing very mm -hmm. casually for a few years. And eventually 
it turned into um, something that people were interested in. And then also luckily in uh, in the Bay Area, the Game Developer Conference, which is kind of the best known games development conference in the world, uh, happens in San Francisco every year. And so I was actually able to go there six or seven years in a row. And it's really expensive to go. So that's like unlikely to happen if we weren't here. Um, and all of the kind of deals at the Game Developer Conference happen in hotels around it. So I was able to kind of, you know, meet people and network and be pitching to, you know, tons of people all the time. And yeah, eventually we um, we met an investor through a, who was introduced through a friend and uh, they wanted to invest in it. So they gave us some money and then we quit our jobs and started the company. Nice. And then we worked on it for two years and grew it a bit. And then we went to get some more funding and now we're going to yeah get to 20 people this year. So that's the brief history do you, yeah no i love it and it's a, a really interesting insight do you think that i mean do you feel like you're at the pinnacle of what you want right now no nowhere near it i mean okay. this this idea and this project is so big that i mean if you if you think um there's a thing called roblox i don't know if you've seen it before i've seen it i've played it my nine-year-old loves it so yeah, yeah. so i mean if, for people who don't know roblox is a is a thing there's a bit similar in that you know you can you can it's possible to make games in it and it's super popular with kids um mm-hmm. you know they've got they've got 2300 people just working on moderating the comments wow <laughs> so wow. when you think about the scale of their company <laughs> And then you think that we've got like eight people, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a huge project. And the, the trick about these kind of projects is just to get them to the next level. And then you can get, you know, more funding and more people, you know, you've got revenue coming in. Mm. So yeah, I mean, this, this thing probably needs like minimum 20 people on the development team. And it could easily be a company of like, we could have 50 people right now and we'd have stuff for all of them to do. So yeah, the is idea it fr- is. Yeah. Sorry, is it frustrating when you know what it's capable of, but you're not there yet, or do you just yeah, kind of? That's, no, yeah. that's the entire history of the entire project. Is either me by myself knowing that you know it, we just need more people and we need to go faster, and then every time we get more time or more people, we always know you know there's more to do. So I'm happy when we get to certain points and when certain things you know come off and like we we achieve things that we've been trying to strive for for years but at the same time you know you look at it and you just see all the problems as a developer of it you just see everything you, you should fix yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. and so you know that's uh that is very difficult and sometimes that turns out that that uh results in strange things happening like my kids might really want to play it on the weekend but i've been making it all week and even though <laughs> like, it's it's ostensibly a, like a video game and it should be fun i just don't want to look at it <laughs> not on yeah. the weekend yeah you know so yeah. it's a it's a funny one no, it's interesting. Um, I love it. Now, what I want to ask was, well, when I talk with clients around branding, we often, or I like to understand or help them understand their why, um, why they do what they do. So the question goes out to you, why do you make computer games? <laughs> well, I mean, as you probably know, like I, I started using computers when there was a, like a BBCB in school when I was probably, I mean, I had one at home, but probably, you know, six or seven years old. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, that's all I ever wanted to do. Like I didn't have 
a, another thought in my mind that there was actually never been a point in my life <laughs> apart from mm. like you know getting tired of actually you know doing the same job for 20 years or whatever which i don't think is really the same but yeah. um there's just never a point when i didn't want to do that like it was just completely obvious to me and you know even to my detriment as i went through school i would just ignore stuff that i thought wasn't <laughs> to do with games and i distinctly remember being in a, a maths class in middle school and they were doing uh, matrix transformations and i asked the math teacher like hey do you think you could use this to rotate things in games and they didn't have a clue what i was talking about i probably didn't even ask the question in a sensible way but they you know they did they didn't get a positive response and then i thought ah, i don't need maths and then you know well, let's and let's put an era on this as well so middle school what year yeah. are we talking then i mean the idea of well a a computer game and then being asked by a pupil can i rotate something within yeah. a computer game what yeah. game what what you, i mean we must have been are we talking late 80s or early 90s? In yeah, probably, you know, probably 89, 90, something like that. Yeah. yeah so so I mean, you... it was it was very early. But the thing was, people were doing that already. They were already using transform matrices to rotate stuff. It's just, you know, and I could see that like she had a triangle and here it's this way around and here it's this way around. Mm -hmm. And you've done that by this operation. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, but could you, you could do everywhere in between as well. Right. So then that would make it like a smooth rotation. But, you know, that, that just didn't connect. And then when those events happened, um, you know, I just, you know, I just kind of dis discard it. So, yeah. But yeah. So I just um, I just always wanted to do it. I kind of variously was successful and unsuccessful academically. Um, I did go to university to do computer science, but not to not to a great course, because, of course, I hadn't really applied myself in, in <laughs> high school as much as I I don't know if I was capable of doing that but i always kind of struggled for some reason and then i dropped out of university and went and got a job so yeah that's the oh. summary yeah no it's interesting and it could be um relatable to a number of listeners so um mm. thanks for opening up on that one so you know you, you knew that you've always wanted to make computer games i mean do you feel like there's a thing like what where did this computer game passion come from Do you, were you given a computer at an early age or did parents play or do you know where's it where's it come from yeah i mean you know we had a so the bbc i think a lot of this it was kicked off by the bbc because the bbc had this computer education program um and as you probably remember when we were kids every school had a bbc b microcomputer and mm -hmm. that microcomputer was created by the BBC to go along with their education program. So it really was like a, a, a nationwide thing in the UK to try and educate kids about computers. Um, and it was successful. You know, we had a BBCB in our house, which was, you know, we were super lucky because if you look at the comparative price, you know, it's kind of like the cost of three iPads at this point, <laughs> wow. uh, maybe maybe four. So those things were super expensive. Um, and, you know, they didn't really, they also didn't really do very much. You know, like 8-bit computers, there was no internet, there was no connectivity. So what were you doing with them? Uh, well, the answer for me was playing games. And, you know, as soon are you as I... Sure it, are you sure it wasn't trying to get a seven-inch floppy drive 
a floppy disk <laughs> into the drive. <laughs> yeah, five and a quarter, five and a quarter. It's not seven inch. Sorry. We're not, we're not, we're not oh, 60. Right. <laughs> but, but yeah, the um, the five and a quarter inch floppies, yeah. But the thing is, again, like the five and a quarter inch floppy, we laugh about that now, but that was a rev- that was a revelation. I mean, we I used to have to sit waiting for a tape to load for like mm-hmm. 10 minutes and then often it wouldn't even work. And then you got these magical floppy disks and they loaded in like two seconds. So, you know, I was... I like them, but yeah. So we had a, <coughs> um, so we had a BBC B uh, microcomputer, and you know, you, I played a lot of games and had had a lot of fun there. And then there was kind of books or magazines you could get, and you could type in code to try and make some game work. And inevitably, it wouldn't work, <laughs> and so you spent you know three hours yeah. typing something in. And then it was very difficult to understand why. But what you could do is you could just make simple things, and all of those computers were very accessible. And there's actually a direct line between that accessibility and what we're doing right now with Dot Big Bang, because making video games today in today's world is actually way more complicated and many, many more steps than, you know, this instant on, like just click a button and you're making something. So part of what we're doing right now is trying to get back to that and give people this kind of instant feel of building. Because if that, if, if I hadn't had that and if, if it had taken half an hour to compile or it taken all of this time to do stuff, I probably wouldn't have been that interested, not at that age. And then mm-hmm. maybe would have been doing something else. Um, so and you've and we've definitely got, or I see it in in uh, in my son like a now generation. If it's not happening at the t- press or touch of a button, that the, they drop off. You know, yeah. it's like I want it now. <laughs> yeah, and I think when you think it's it's funny, right? Because when you teach kids to do, when you see kids learning when they're very young, um, you know they'll build a stack of blocks and they'll push them over, and then they'll see, oh well, that's what happens with things when you push them over. So they're kind of learning with this instant feedback. If you push the blocks and then it took 15 minutes for them to fall over, <laughs> they wouldn't. <laughs> there'd be no connection between those two things. And I think that's the that's the thing about this, you know, this turnaround time. And then most of the devices you know, kids have today, they're only um, consuming, right? They're not creating. And I think Mm. that's another thing that's a real shame. But, you know, what's good in the UK, at least, is that David Braben, the guy that made Elite, uh, you know, started doing this Raspberry Pi thing, which is a small, cheap computer that you can get for about £5 now, or it's £30 or £5. And I have one, and I can't remember which model it is, but yeah, it's very affordable. Yeah, and those are going into every school and, and they're trying to get back to that idea of, you know, teaching kids a, an actual skill. Because um, mm. what happened in, in UK schools is they went from teaching kids to program, which is a skill you can use to get a job, to teaching kids like how to use Microsoft Word, which of course you can also get a job in, but not the same kind of job. You <laughs> not know? really. Yeah. And you don't really need to teach kids how to use Microsoft Word these days. I mean, they'll just figure it out themselves. So well, yeah, yeah, basically. yeah, I think uh, that's part of it. No, it's interesting. So, I know we've talked about the good stuff, the the, the game you're on, the things that are going that you're getting right at the minute. How many times have you got it wrong with games? Well, man, well, m- most games get it wrong. <laughs> That's the rule. <laughs> so, okay, it, it's funny that um, you know, in video game development, uh, it's much more common to fail than it is to succeed. And that that failure is either, you know, it didn't really achieve the success that somebody wanted, or it's, uh, you know, wasn't successful at all, or it's, 
the game never got finished and the company went out of business. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just a, it's a very harsh industry because it's completely hit driven. You know, if you make a video game and it's successful and you make another one and it's unsuccessful, it only takes a couple of games going wrong to put a medium to small sized game developer out of business completely. Mm-hmm. So it is a, it is a harsh world <laughs> and I've been involved in uh, small scale failures and incredibly massive failures um the biggest of which was an, a computer game that i spent uh, seven years on and the company spent 80 million dollars on and it was uh, an online game and it lasted six weeks uh, live before the company shut down <laughs> so uh, yeah. we've done, how- we done, we done over seven years and then we got six weeks before we had to like wrap everything up but yeah so how does that feel that must be horrible it is terrible. I mean, especially in a creative endeavor, you know, I think if you work on a project that's like, I don't know, more more of a kind of traditional business thing, um, you you know, you're not that attached to it. But when you're making computer games, for better or worse, it's a creative endeavor and you're kind of putting your some of yourself into it and some of your kind of soul into it. And then when it doesn't work out, um, it's just it's just very difficult because uh, for a game of that size, we had like a hundred and I think we had like hundred and eighty people on it. Um, so you know, it's it's a large enterprise, and you're trying to mm-hmm. get everybody to kind of do the same thing. But it's also a creative enterprise, and that's very difficult because you, everyone has to actually understand some kind of vision or some kind of idea behind it. And when that doesn't really happen, or everyone's not pulling in the same direction, it can kind of fall apart. You know, for I think there, there are some like key themes for why that project didn't happen. But then there's also just like you've got to get all of these humans to successfully collaborate, and that is usually, you know, or quite often, you know, the biggest problem. But yeah, it was terrible, and it, and it took me a long time to recover from it. I actually didn't realize I think how difficult it was until I was in my next job. <laughs> we were on like an offsite in the middle of Iceland, and uh, people were asking about it, and I was like, wow, yeah, it was really bad. And, uh, yeah. It was, um, so do you feel, I mean, I'm guessing you can sympathize with one of the biggest that's hit the headlines of late, which is the cyberpunk project. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, um, it only takes, it only takes shipping one bad game professionally to cure people of this problem of being super critical of other games that fail. Like you've only got to fail once and realize that, you know what, there's, you know, a thousand different reasons that that might have happened. Um, mm-hmm. Cyberpunk is very interesting because it's kind of a it's kind of a combination of lots of different things. You know, it's like obviously full of bugs, um, but but again, like the team, I don't know how big their team is, but it's probably three hundred to four hundred people at this point. And yeah, there could be lots and lots of reasons why that's not working. Like quality assurance maybe isn't. I'm not saying the Q, the QA team themselves, but the loop of like you know writing those things down and then actually fixing them and that being a priority versus adding new features which is a constant struggle in game companies um but yeah it's it is uh it's really yeah. it, it certainly just makes me feel sad and a lot of empathy for the people because the majority of the people on that team wouldn't have had anything to do with the decisions that are you know led to it being such a mess um the other kind of get, they kind of get, they kind of get tarnished with it. It's, a, it's kind of that's, I don't know, but that's how I think. If I, if I worked on that project and then I went somewhere else, would they, would they, so would they look from my CV and go, oh, we've got a cyberpunk one here? Do you know what I mean? Um, Does it work well, like that? Well, no, because of what I said before, like games fail all the time. 
like games it's the it's the it's the rule that they fail right it's like the rule that at least for like a console or a pc game that you're it's gonna do either like pretty good or whatever i mean obviously there, there are certain game companies that are working off um intellectual property that are probably going to be successful like blizzard has had a really good run of games and there's other companies that do successfully ship but in general like people work on games that don't work and in your career if you're working on AAA games each of them takes two to well, three years to make so you're not going to work on that many so yeah it's i don't think it, it you know you'd want to have a conversation about it <laughs> like if you yeah. if you you would want to ask them you know what like what happened but also I, I also think there's a level of respect there which is like it's a little bit like you know kind of ogling a car crash like you know it's at a certain point people don't want to talk about it for the seven thousandth time certainly for for the game that we worked on which was called all points bulletin um it was in like top 10 worst game lists for like 10 years after we did it and you know so i mean if if you know having a massive failure was going to restrict somebody's career it would have definitely restricted mine for sure yeah, but true. what happens what happens actually is kind of the opposite which is when companies explode what actually happens is a lot of other game companies will send people directly to where the company is and they'll run like little days to try and recruit them because you know they know that it's not the people's skill you know almost certainly that caused the problem it's just it's just games, man. It's, games, how it man. That's how it is. <laughs> Absolutely. What I'm really intrigued by, and I'm going to move the conversation a little bit more brand focused now, but yeah. where that relationship of the studio and the games that it produces are, are two, they're basically two separate entities. And we chatted a little bit about this um, yeah. on our intro call. And like I'd never really thought about it that the, the the studio is is I think it was your words it's, it's kind of irrelevant who makes the game unless they're a big name. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and that's I've never exactly really it. Got, yeah, and I've never got. I've, I've, it's not something I've ever really thought about. So, I mean, what point do, is he, are you classed as a big name? I mean, almost no game companies are. You know, if you list like ten like 10 or 20 top games apart from ones that are made by nintendo which is you probably know who nintendo are um i, I guarantee you that like 80 percent of them you probably don't know who the developer is you know i think for, for for ones like gta i mean people know who rockstar lots of people know who rockstar are but way fewer people know who rockstar are than know know what gta is and so the games themselves are the brands and those are the things that's most important to get into people's heads um yeah so yeah, yeah and it's like it's somewhat like like i said it's somewhat irrelevant who the developer is um the, the main thing that the main time that you need people to know that is when you're talking to investors or publishers and that's their job so they know who makes the games yeah so there's two different audiences there right well, if we were talking about the, the the brand of the game, in terms of a, a brand image or an identity, how does let's take Dot Big Bang? How does the brand image and the identity that exists for Dot Big Bang? How do you approach that? Do you start with um, a, like a preconceived idea, or does this change as the game develops? Um. Yeah, it, it's it's always a so like like I, I think we were um, talking you know a while back the the brand is a reflection of the game right so like 
uh, when you when you're interested in buying a video game or looking at a video game, I mean ours is quite different because you can click it and play it instantly. But most times you're looking at a video, and so you know you're going to look at a video which is some kind of like you know promo thing or cutscenes or gameplay, and then you've got the brand, you know the logo of the game, maybe the logo of the company, um, and that's what cements people's idea of what it, what it's all about. So. We we spend most of our time in terms of kind of brand development on video production and making you know vi promo videos that you know encapsulate the entire thing and try and show the whole thing off and give you a feel. Um, and then the thing itself, you know, the product itself is has to kind of embody all of those ideas. So mm. yeah, it's um, there's definitely a kind of uh, symbiosis there. Um, so at what yeah. point, where do you, I mean, when you're a small, I mean, do you class yourselves as a small studio? Is that what yeah, you describe? Yeah, we're, we're still small. So sure. as a small studio, at what point, I mean, do you have to work on this stuff yourself? What point do you bring in a designer? Do you have budget to work with people on things like your videos and stuff? How do you tackle uh, it? We just do it all ourselves. So like, <laughs> you know, for better or worse, I think that there's certainly times, because I think the other thing is, the landscape for promoting computer games and certainly the landscape for promoting anything has changed pretty radically even since we've started like twitter wasn't really a huge thing uh for games you know even kind of 15 years ago or 10 years ago uh, and then it, it became this like massive way to promote yourself that's actually a much more useful way than um many of the other ways so like the type of content that you're producing and the way that you're promoting yourself kind of morph over time and i think mm. you can kind of hire external groups who kind of get that but then you know i think that's also can be very difficult and you're kind of trusting them and i think we feel like you know we're able to experiment very quickly just doing stuff internally so yeah we do um we do everything internally. We do all the videos, we do all the, the capture, we do like everything. Um, and like I said, that... maybe, sometimes maybe to our detriment, but I think what, what it lets us do is also be incredibly picky about the end result. For example, um, when we put out videos, they're always 4K 60, of, you know, 4K resolution 60 hertz. And mm -hmm. I think that that is part of this um, feeling that you're giving people of like quality. And it, you know, if you use somebody else, maybe they would have a video that was like not perfect. And for us, you know, that, that perfect look um, kind of gives you that console game feel. And that's why console games feel good, or at least it's why they did feel good until consoles changed a bit. Um, so yeah, there's lots of kind of small detail that I think it would take a lot of kind of iteration if we had external teams doing it. But yeah, it's a huge, um, load but we only you know we kind of only do it every so often because of that yeah and that was the bit that was i was picking up on that there's the there's very much of this like entrepreneur mindset that you've got in early stage startup terms everything landing on your shoulders because you know yeah. there's no there's no budget there there's not a specific team member who will do it and so you've got to do it to the best of your ability um yeah i mean if you think about a normal game company like i said you know <clears throat> probably 80 percent of the people in a game company are artists we have one artist <laughs> that's that's one artist to do like every game asset and also like you know make a video and also like design the website yeah. so yeah it's a bit it's a bit crazy but you know i think it's a lot about mindset you know people people who are really good at doing startups are eager 
to just get stuff done. And it doesn't yeah. really matter what that stuff is. And, it, and we know that we are not going to be able to execute on something as well as somebody else who's, a, who's an absolute professional who does that as their job every day. But we can make it um, fit for purpose you know fit for purpose and and that's what we go for it's like we'll make a video probably once a year maybe twice a year just to show all of the stuff that we've made and every time we do it it's this uh, way to kind of wrap up and sum up all of the progress that we've made which is a fun thing to do anyway so it's kind of like a little retrospective on what we're doing so that's that's a fun thing yeah so we've got the game identity with the the games that you produce, the brand that, that exists around each game. Um, looking at what exists for the brand of your business, so the brand of Control Z, um, we talked on the intro call about how you try and pin everything or link it back to the vision, your vision. Um, how hard is that? Because you've got, as you've already alluded, when we first got chatting was that you've got people in Iceland, Spain, Hong Kong, you've got investors there. How hard is it to manage your vision across the globe? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, th- I think as I was saying when we when we chatted about it before the podcast, um, I think we were a very small team. So if we were in one room, this would definitely be easier. Like there's no question whatsoever. But um, for normal game companies, you know, they're kind of like maybe 50 to 100 to even 400 people. You have all the same problems. You know, you've got to have a vision and you've got to communicate it to, you know, often hundreds of people. Um, so I think the, the process is kind of the same. You know, I think in any in any company, um, you need to be able to like really clearly state what it is you're trying to do as a top level goal in plain English without a lot of like, flowery words and stuff oh, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, and that's that's often it, it just doesn't happen you know there's like somebody will describe to you their business or what they're doing and by the time they finish talking about it you still don't know what they're doing because they're <laughs> you know describing in like lots of kind of you know flowery words or something and it's not just a simple sentence so I think very simple words very clear very plain English um, describe what it is you're trying to do so for us like YouTube for games is a pretty you know, very clear statement. And it also mm-hmm. embodies lots of things, right? Like scale. You know, YouTube is, you know, the, one of the things I like to tell people is there's more hits and activity on the single largest YouTube video than there is on all of Fortnite or all of Roblox. Like that single video has more people watching it and interacting with it and commenting on it than these massive video games. So you think about the scale of YouTube, that's already giving you like lots of different ideas about what that might yeah. mean. And then you've got to take that and turn it into something that you can describe over time. And time for games, you know, what people used to do is they would they would make this super detailed plan for like the next year. And the problem with games is, you know, it, it's a, it's kind of an exploratory project uh, uh, process. So you need to find figure out what you're doing as you go. And of course, as you're figuring it out, your plan is getting completely invalidated. <laughs> so it's not useful to have, you know, tasks for a year. What's useful is to have like, what are we doing? What's the big goal in the next year? What's the big goal in the next six months? What's the big goal in the next three months? Mm-hmm. And then you need to do detailed planning for the work you're working on. But, you know, maintaining the right uh, level of detail on the vision is the way that you is the way that you can 
do it and get you know give it to everybody because if you go into too much detail uh, long term you just can't maintain it and what, what that turns into is it's always out of date and so you know you just have some huge yeah. document that's kind of got written a year ago and doesn't make any sense anymore um, so but yeah. yeah i mean would you say you just would you describe it as like a sprint planner almost so like you break it down yeah so so you know we'll do like very long-term planning and we're not going to spend a ton of time doing that the whole point of long-term planning is to set you know top-down direction and say hey everybody this is what we're trying to achieve for the whole company this is what we're trying to achieve over this year these are the big things we need to get done and and especially with a distributed distributed team but in general in games companies what i want to do is if is have each person in their head know what the kind of top level ideas are so they can make decisions every day themselves and have a lot of agency to to solve that in the best way you know you don't want to micromanage people and i can't because i'm in a different time zone so what i want to do is have them point in the right direction and do the right thing mm-hmm. and then for the we do kind of do more detailed planning for what we would call like a, a two-week sprint or whatever um and then for that time we should know what we're doing and we should know what we're delivering and it should be more detailed um but like i say it isn't it isn't valuable to do that planning to that level of detail further out because yeah. it just gets invalidated usually no it's interesting it's similar to how i do plan out my own um vision so i, I work to like a 30 day or a month um Mm. plan but i'll break it down into um the one thing that i want to achieve this month yeah Um, then i'll look at breaking down and what i'm going to do this week and then i'll get broken down into what i might do today and then i've got various other bits of this got completed if something gets skipped it gets put into a skip file where i can come back to and i've got a brain dump side of things that i just put stuff in and that seems to be an acceptable and efficient way of working for me but it's like a really micro version of what you've just described there yeah and and, you know the that that concept of like what am i trying to do this week or like what's the thing to do today you know somebody um i think there's a person on twitter called stephanie hilbert who was a graphics programmer um but she's now doing a bunch of other stuff like art and she said you know quite often she'll just um to take the stress off herself, she'll just give herself one thing to do a day. And mm-hmm. although it sounds like, well, you know, you're not working very hard if you're doing one thing a day, what she actually means is pick the one most important thing to get done in your day. And what that also does is it lets you, it's a really simple way to focus and like, you know, cut out all of the other stuff and say, what is the one thing that I must achieve by the end of this day? And if you yeah. do, you know, five important things a week, then you you are making progress, you know, and you That's can exactly it. Yeah. hopefully Good. get more done. But you know, it, it, at the minimum, you're being intentional and you're kind of you know focusing on that one thing. Exactly, you're making progress, which in turn gives you confidence in yourself in terms of what you're doing. Um, and it, it for me as a creative, it must be the same for developers. Is that you can you can just find yourself not in the zone and you need to do something else yeah so you can go back to a list and pick something that still contributes towards the one big thing for that month yeah. or whatever yeah. so yeah that's really interesting link that um i've missed my place now with my questions but let me put them over quick because <laughs> i was planning to go into um a little bit more around some of the brands or the, the, the different businesses that you've worked alongside, because you've had, well, you've had quite a few roles, but the one I wanted to ask you about was, 
you've worked with Google, one of the biggest brands on the planet, and um, yeah. we're kind of straying away from computer games here, but, you know, what the hell was it like working for a brand that size? Yeah, it was weird. I mean, you know, <laughs> it was very strange. <laughs> I am... Um, so what I was doing at Google was, first of all, I was working with um, top game developers on Google Play. So, you know, when you um, submit a game to the Android store and people want to install it, somebody is, you know, running that store and, and helping those developers be successful. So I was working with top developers there. And then I worked on tons of other things, like uh worked on Daydream, which was their VR headset. I worked on um, trying to make Android better for games a little bit, which was a fruitless and uh, annoying endeavor. And I also worked on Google Stadia, which was their streaming games thing, but I only did that for a month. And when I started working on that, I knew I was leaving and we had funding for for Control Z dot Big Bang. So, um, so that's yeah. why that's why it never turned out a success. That that's you right. Left. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so Google, I mean, the the main differences I would say were uh number one, in computer games, you're always shipping a game. Like, you know, if even if you're working on an online game, you're working on an update to it, which you're going to ship and it has a date and you're focused on that and you need to get it done. And like I was saying earlier, for a lot of game companies, if you're a small to medium sized company, if you don't ship things on time and you don't get them out, you're going to go out of business. So it's not like there's, you know, a lot of leeway for that to go wrong or you not to get it done. Um, so there's always pressure and there's always dates and there's always getting it done. And then I went to Google and had a discussion with my manager one day and I was saying, we need to do this. We've got to get this done. We've got to get this done. And he said, uh, Hey, I just want to let you know that I don't share your level of, um, urgency about this task. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> so he was basically saying like, you don't have a deadline, you know, get it done when you want to get it done. Um, you know, and it was a, it was, it was actually very difficult for me to deal with because my whole life had been shipping things and getting things done and making things on deadlines. And now there was like very little structure. You just had to make it up yourself. Uh, and that was just weird. Like it was, it sounds like one of those things where people are saying, oh, that would be great. It's like, well, would it, <laughs> would it be great if you didn't have, you know, enough structure or maybe you didn't really know what you had to deliver or you know those types of things and so it wasn't that it, there was no structure it was just that it was very very different very different pacing mm. um the second one was uh i was in a room pretty early on and i said something about doom which is a quite well-known computer game mm -hmm. and uh, nobody in the room knew what i was talking about at all and yeah, i was right. just like oh my god like what have i done here <laughs> what have i done <laughs> like I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a place where you know not a single person understands like what i've spent my whole life doing at this point um so that was that was a it was a blessing and a curse at google because there yeah. are very very few game developers at google so people pe there's a lot of people who want your opinion on things and you know it's easy to kind of uh, be useful but whether or not that's actually something that's you know you're there's an output at the end of it and it's valuable uh, that's the thing that kind of became a struggle because, you know, the biggest companies I've worked for had 300 people in it. Google's got 100,000 people in it. Um, you know, it's easy just to be a cog and be like really into trying to make games good on Android and then like nobody else really cares <laughs> and it just doesn't happen. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, a, it was well, a, f a fun experience for sure, though. And what everybody wants to know is what was the weirdest moment? Because like I've said 
I think it was on our intro call. Like, you have worked in buildings where they have a slide in the foyer, but by yeah. Google terms, come on, what's a slide? <laughs> yeah, Google. Google. I mean, in terms of weird stuff, um, it's just it's just all over the place. I mean, you know, some some things that come to mind immediately are um, there's a, like a, a nondescript building. So they've got they've probably got fifty buildings. Um, the nondescript like a, building, what a yeah. place! <laughs> so they've got a, they've got maybe fifty buildings at the Mountain View campus, which is where the Googleplex is. You know, when you see pictures of that, um, and so you just go into some like you know seventies looking, you know, totally nondescript building, and there'll just be a full size real F one car in the lobby because some at some point some team bought that car and put it there for some reason of course, right. um, there's another one that's got a, a half pipe skate ramp in the lobby with skateboards and like helmets and stuff um there's one that's got like a full a full recreation of the star trek teleporter room um because they were working on like the, the balloon space balloon stuff um it's just it's just everywhere there's crazy stuff all over that campus um and then obviously like all of the food is free and there's just yeah it's a bit of a it's a bit of an alternative reality. Um, you know, people will say, oh, I need to I need to get out of this meeting because I've got a massage booked. <laughs> like, you know, okay. um, at one point, um, at one point, they somebody bought a baby camel, a baby therapy camel to the campus for, so people could hug it uh, because it was part wow. of some local charity that goes and likes, you know, takes not out your like, bog standard, animals not your bog standard camel a therapy camel exactly exactly so you know <laughs> the, the, that stuff happens all the time and then the other thing is you know the, the the i actually worked in the googleplex building for a while and it's a it's a tourist attraction and so you're sitting in your work you know work office and there's people like sticking their face on the window with telephoto <laughs> lenses trying to take pictures and okay. uh, you know yeah, and so that's a funny one. But yeah, like the you know you, the, the bicycles that you used to get around the campus because it's probably two miles end to end. Um, the rule is that you know if the tourists take the bikes, you can't fight them for them. <laughs> so you'd be like getting out of a getting out of a meeting trying to get somewhere, and then somebody would take the bike that you were trying to get to. But get off yeah. my bike! Get off my bike! Like, Imagine it being like a scene out of yeah, like GTA. Where you just start jumping people on bikes to to get from one end to the other. Yeah, oh, I love it. I love it. Um, look, I've got a couple of questions. I'm looking at my time time slot here. We're coming up to well, we're on 50 minutes. So I've got a couple of questions I I like to ask um, each guest. One of them, is, which we haven't really covered yet, is if you met yourself 10 years ago, what would you say to yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think 10 years ago, we were just leaving Iceland, uh, coming to the US. Um, I think I'd probably just say, get on with it faster. I mean, I think when we started, when I started doing Dot Big Bang, we started doing this project. Um, I kind of felt like I wanted to do it myself. And I think there's some pride in that and there's some ego in that. Like, you know, this is my thing, so I'm going to do it. Uh, but like I said to you, you know, these projects really take a lot of people. And it, of course, you can't know if something's really going to turn into something, like something that you hope is going to be a thing. You know, we didn't, didn't know 10 years ago that was going to happen. But I think what I'd say is just, you know, if you're going to do something, get more people involved more quickly so you can get it, you know, get it out faster. Uh, but yeah, I think that will be it. Everything else get was... Get it uh, out faster. There's yeah, some advice. Get, just get it to market. Get it to market. You've got to get the product out. Otherwise, someone else will do it before you. That is true. That is true. Um, look, I mean, 
the, the world's pretty crazy right now and um, in terms of what's been going on over the last 12 months mm. um, as I'm looking to wind up this interview what what has, what's changed for you what is it changed what you do is anything massively adjusted yeah it's a good question you know um I think that we actually had been a, a fully remote company for a long time <clears throat> sorry We've been a fully remote company for a long time, since 2014. So what, what had changed for us was we just managed to get a physical office and we managed to get our French co-founder uh, a visa to come to the US. And so he just moved to the US in January 2020. And then the pandemic hit and we basically had to give up the office and he had to sit in his house <laughs> for a year in San Francisco. So wow. that was that was bad because it was definitely good for us to physically be in the same place. That was helpful. Um, and then I think the second thing that's been difficult is, you know, raising money as a startup, you know, talking to investors over Zoom, um, you know, not having that f feedback, not being able to see people's faces really, you know, just talking to a bunch of people who've got their mics muted. That is incredibly difficult, you know, versus, you know, going into a room of people, you know, get, making a kind of connection with them, you know, seeing their faces and how they react to different points that you make. Yeah. Uh, pitching, pitching is just super punishing. I think we did 35 or 40 uh, pitches and just all over the place. Some of them went really well. Some of them were just disastrous. Um, one of them, one of the investors uh, had probably forgotten that he's phone camera was on and he was eating cereal and we could see right up his nose that was great uh, one of them uh, was just playing a computer game because he think he'd forgotten his camera was on so you know that type of thing oh, but uh, yeah that was I found that incredibly stressful just because you you know a lot of pitching and a lot of kind of you know giving somebody a creative vision and a business vision is making a human connection and like showing them you know that you know what you're doing and it was just it was just incredibly difficult to, to get that kind of stuff happening um and then you've got the lag on the video call and so some of those investors they just they're kind of interrupty investors as i call them they just want to like interrupt you all the time and ask you questions yeah, and right, you've yeah. got like a video call latency that is just a killer because you know they're, they're talking over you and then you're pausing and then you wait for them and then man it's just like horrible so yeah i've had a few calls when somebody's invited me to a, a team's call and i'm like oh, my yeah. head, I, I have to face palm because i know there's either going to be a delay or work but when you're not you can't hit a groove you can't hit a stride and be able to talk at the speed or it's just all wrong it's yeah it's not. a message i mean there's a reason why when people invented telephones like a hundred years ago or whatever it didn't have some massive latency on it you just talk to people so yeah. you know they figured it out a while ago we just we just unfigured it out we just made it more complicated there you go so I'd like to ask, I do ask everybody, I'd like you to pick a boldest brand for the episode and it's someone, something that's just doing or done it for you as a brand. Who, who would you like or what would you like to pick, Rob? Yeah, I think um, I think Tesla is a very, very interesting brand. You know, I don't, I don't agree with everything that they do, but I think they've managed to turn themselves, you know, not into a car brand, but into a kind of cool consumer brand. Um, you know, people are incredibly dedicated when you meet them who are into uh, into Tesla. So yeah, that's a that's a brand I would pick as, as something that's very interesting that they've you know the way they've positioned themselves, not really as a car, but more as a kind of like consumer electronics brand or whatever. 
And you can spot the Tesla owners because they are just sat talking to each other, or were when you could face to face. But if they meet, they, charging then, their cars. Yeah, if they meet, then they talk about it. Or if they meet and you happen to mention that you're considering a Tesla, yeah. then then that's your night gone. Basically, that's right. <laughs> Got to get out of that convo. <laughs> well, I just want to say, Rob. I mean. It's been a really fascinating interview and um, it's opened my eyes to a lot of different things that go on within um, the computer game industry, the way that, you know, like a little insight, a little peep into your world. Um, so listen, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been been great to, to share your story with everybody. Oh yeah, thanks so much for inviting me and it's been, uh, it's been really good fun to catch up. We'll have to go over those uh, middle school stories another day. Yeah, we'll save that for a, a one-off special. <laughs> okay, yeah, thanks th a lot. Thanks, Rob. So here we are, the end of another episode. I'd just like to say thank you very much for tuning in. It really does mean a lot to me. And if you've been sat listening, pondering your own brand and have decided that perhaps it's not quite as strong as you would like then why not take my brand strength test? I've designed it to be an indication of just how well your brand is performing. The best thing is it's completely free. So if you hit the links button in the player, that'll then take you through to my Brandscape strength test. There's also a direct link found in the show notes as well. And it'll uncover six core areas of your brand that we will take a look at and decide how well are they performing? Are they performing as well as you want? And could areas be improved? You'll get a customized report that I will deliver one-to-one -one with you. And that's it, that's all there is to it. So go on, click it, it's free. What are you waiting for? If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a review. And the podcast is available to subscribe on all of the major download platforms. Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts, amongst others. You can follow me on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, all of those are available via my website. And remember, if you're not proud of your brand, how do you expect anyone else to be?